Welcome to Refocus. I'm your host, Trevor Wilson. This is a podcast of Sunday school lessons that I've taught, some sermons that I have preached. Uh, I have various guests at different times. Uh, Basically, the, the whole idea is to just kind of refocus back on the Word of God, going back to those Bible stories, studying the scriptures. Let's just, just kind of get out of ourselves, out of our own thinking, and go back to the Word of God and see what He has to say. I love those old Sunday school lessons when we were kids. We seem to have gotten away from some of those, just the bare bones bottom of what the Word of God, the meat and potatoes, if you will. So I hope you enjoy it and pass along and share. Now, let's get to the lesson. Hello once again, this is Steve Wilson, and we are back in our study, or our journey through the book of Matthew. We have progressed now through up to verse 17, 18, somewhere along in there. Um, and it's getting a little arbitrary because some of the things we talk about kind of overlap. But anyway, that's kind of where we're at, verse chapter 21. And um, Jesus has entered into the city of Jerusalem. Um, he's already angered the hierarchy. Uh, we're going to see today how he kind of takes a second step towards turning people against him, basically, um, in pushing a new theology and the theology is that he is indeed the Messiah as the children have proclaimed as we saw in verse 16. Um, you know, he's saying that, you know, the children know better than the adults uh, what's going on here. They're proclaiming the truth and you guys are resisting it. So, um, so here we go into, uh, well, verse 17, we've already kind of hit this, but let's set the stage. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. So he found a place to rest on Sunday night, the night of the, the triumphal, triumphal entry. And then on verse 18, we now have Monday morning. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. Okay, so he's going uh, back into Jerusalem. He's looking for some breakfast. And it says in verse 19, And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it, found nothing thereon but leaves only. Um, let me stop there just for a second, and this is a total side note, just a kind of a personal interest of mine, not a big deal. Um, so, you know, don't, don't uh, take anything out of this, but I've just always kind of been interested in the diet, um, in, in, in that part of the land and in Jesus day because they mentioned things that just um, yeah of course I'm my roots are from the south my people are from Kentucky and I'm used to biscuits and gravy and eggs and bacon and sausage and you know uh, fried apples and different things like that you know hash browns the whole nine yards you know uh, country breakfast I think you all probably know what I'm talking about um, and here he's looking for some breakfast and he wants to eat some figs well, you know, that just, I don't know about you, that just doesn't sound appetizing to me. I guess maybe this is something that uh, some entrepreneur could build a whole Christian diet enterprise off of or something, but that just doesn't sound appealing to me to, 
you know, I need some breakfast. And somebody says, well, you know, here's some figs. Have, have a few figs. Well, I don't know. That just seems strange to me. There's really no point to my comment on that. I just found it interesting. Maybe you do the same. But, any, but so Jesus decides he's going to eat some figs. And so he saw a fig tree, came to it, found nothing thereon but leaves only. So he finds this fig tree and there's no, there are no figs on it. It's not bearing any fruit. And he said unto it, let no fig grow on, on thee henceforth forever. Presently, the fig tree withered away. So it's already not producing fruit. And Jesus just speaks to it and says, okay, that's it. You know, you're never, you know, you're, you're going to die. He pronounces a death sentence on the tree. And so it does, and, it, and it's immediate. And the disciples, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how soon is the fig tree withered away? So they instantly stood there and watched this fig tree wither away. That had to have been an amazing sight. I know it, this is not like this is one of the major miracles of the Bible or anything, but in fact it is, to just literally be able to sit there and watch something die. I've seen, you know, uh, on in movies and different things on TV and that sort of thing, you know, by the technology that they have, so they can they can film that sort of thing and then speed it up and make it look like it's instantaneous. So it would kind of be one of those sort of thing. Had to have been an interesting thing to watch. Uh, but you know, the fig tree died, and they're they're marvelled. They they were and wondering, you know, wow, this is pretty cool. Um, Jesus answered and said to them. Verily I say unto thee, if ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also ye shall say unto the mountain, Be there removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. So, um, first of all, he's pointing out that you're immediately going to see God do miraculous things. And this is kind of part of this whole new theology thing. He's, he's preaching that I am indeed the Messiah. But he, he does something here that, you know, people misinterpret and misapply all the time because you see all these faith healers running around claiming to do these miraculous things for people. Um, and, and claiming verses like this to, uh, you know, to, to verify that they have the ability to do this sort of thing. But it does raise questions. First of all, was he empowering the apostles? Was he giving them some special abilities? Well, I mean, we do see the apostles, you know, becoming capable of doing things. Raising the dead, healing the blind, doing different things like that. That the, He gave the apostles uh, that authority. And I, I do believe in apostolic authority. I do believe God gave the apostles special abilities during this new, new period, this new age, this new era um, to usher in um, this new theology. This new concept, you know, it's the beginning of the church age. And, and, you know, God tends to do that sort of thing. I mean, that's a whole different study that we don't have time to get into here. But there are eras or dispensations, if you will, um, time frames 
that at their inception, God uses miraculous events in order to usher them in and verify them. And then they kind of go away. And, and, I'm, and I believe that's the situation here. There is an apostolic age where the disciples, the apostles that, that, that Christ chose had special abilities and were able to do things that, you know, normal average people could not do. And when they died, those abilities died with them. Um, so, you know, you, you, you see that here and you have to ask that question. And in, in asking that question, then you also have to ask, was he empowering all believers? Well, I don't necessarily think so. Um, I believe he was traveling with the apostles. And in verse 20, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how soon is this fig tree withered away? So this is really addressed only to them. Um, and, you know, so that kind of answers to me anyway. The next question, should this, should this be applied literally? Well, then... I believe the apostles did have special abilities. Could they have literally caused a mountain to fall into the sea or, you know, be done away with? Well, I don't know. That event never occurred, but they did do some pretty miraculous things. So in, in a sense, yes, it was a literal application. I believe it was limited as to who had the ability to do that. I'm sure a lot of people that may be listening to this at some point may disagree with me, and that's okay. Um, but I don't, I don't see how you can take this passage and say that this is something that applies to all believers today. I don't believe that's who he was addressing, and I don't think you have historical evidence for that. What I do believe is occurring here, though, is that Jesus is verifying his standing as the Messiah, <coughs> or as the Son of God, uh, you know, to be more accurate, I guess, that he was sent from heaven, and, um, you know, that, that this is part of this whole new the theology that he's beginning to teach and trying to emphasize. Uh, I do believe, in verse 22, that there is power in prayer, that, uh, you know, there's... God grants our prayers and has tells us in other occasions where that he will do that, that we have the ability to request things and he will cause them to come about. Again, that's a whole nother study for another time, but there are parameters. You know, God is not going to grant something that is not his will and is contrary to his will, I believe. Um, we, you know, the questions or the requests that we make have to be requests that are within the scope of his will. Um, and if we ask them sincerely and, you know, in the right frame of mind and that sort of thing, that God's going to grant those requests he, because he wants things to happen that are good for all. Um, and he's going to allow us the, the, the flexibility, I guess, might be the right term to use to request that those things occur in our lives. <clears throat> so, verse 23, when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Well, 
So they've got a question there for him. And it's interesting that, you know, that's pop, boom. The first thing that happens when he walks into the temple, they start bombarding him with questions like this. So what it tells me is they have been uh, contemplating this whole issue. They've been trying to set him up and they're trying to figure out, okay, we need to find some way um, to counteract what he's doing to show people that he's a fraud, that he's a phony, or in some way cause the people, you know, to doubt him, to cast doubt upon what he does. And so they've decided <clears throat> that they're going to question his authority because that's how they operate. You know, they draw their authority from their, um, their ancestry and the tradi traditions of the Jewish people. Um, people look to them as leaders because of their birthright um, and, and because of their standing in the community. And so they're going to challenge the authority of Jesus because Jesus has none of this. He, you know, he doesn't have the pedigree that these, uh, these uh, priests do. And so they want to they show him up. And that's why they ask this question because they think that whatever he answers is going to trip him up. But you're not going to trip up Jesus. You're not going to outsmart him. And he shows that here in his response to this particular question. Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. So he turns these, this around. He says, I'm going to answer your question with a question. And he says, if you answer my question and you give me a good answer, then I'll give you the answer that you're looking for on my question. But the first thing you need to do is, you know, if you're going to question my authority, basically I'm, I'm going to question yours. But in reality, what he's doing is uh, he's pointing out their hypocrisy. Um, he says, and here's his question in, in order to do that. It's the baptism of John. Which was it? From heaven or of men? And they reason with themselves saying, if we shall say from heaven, he'll say unto us, why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the, pro the people for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, we cannot tell. He said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. <coughs> so he's exposing their hypocrisy, or maybe he's really exposing their cowardice because they don't have the courage to take a stand. They're afraid if they say, Well, it's from heaven, then why didn't they honor it? But on the other hand, they're saying if it wasn't, then they're afraid of the people. So they're straddling the fence, and he's exposing them. And so what he's doing, he's saying, you know, who are we to question God? At least that's, the, you know, the, the lesson that, that we should learn from this. But, you know, in other words, by what authority do you question me? And whenever we question God in anything, that's pretty much what it is. We have no authority to do that. They didn't have the authority to do that. So he took this question they asked, this plot that they had hatched, and turned it around on them and expose their own cowardice, their own lack of authority, the, uh, you know, their own hypocrisy. 
And that's what Jesus does to us. We, we don't question Jesus. We just trust in him. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the savior of mankind. We have to put our trust in him. Um, we're at the end of this podcast, so we're going to pick up, I guess, uh, in verse 28. There's a good place to make the transition next time. So uh, goodbye and God bless.